The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Welcome, all of you. Um, my name is John Holm, one of the uh, elder candidates at the church, and it is my privilege to be bringing God's word today and uh, be studying with you. Um, if you are joining us online, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you here. And so uh, we're going to get right into God's word. But before we do that, um, I just have to say that um, last time I preached, I mentioned that I did not read all the fine print when it came to understanding my role, what would be expected of me as an elder, and I didn't realize that I was going to have to lead the church through a global pandemic. Well, this time, I realized that I missed some other fine print, and that was that you were going to be required to preach one of the hardest passages in Scripture. (laughs) Crazy passage. So let me get my glasses on here, and let me tell you what Dr. Blomberg at the seminary says about this passage. This passage is probably the most complex, controversial, and opaque of any text of comparable length in the New Testament. A survey of different exegetical options are there for a myriad of questions and should inspire a fair measure of tentativeness on the part of the interpreter. I mean, you heard the passage, a little bit of it anyway. See, as you look at this passage, it's difficult to understand, but it's also even more difficult to figure out how to preach it. There are thousands of pages written on it, and actually over the last couple of months, I've been reading up on stuff on this, trying to figure it out. I mean, theologians can't totally figure it out. Theologians can't agree on everything. There are issues with men and women in this passage, issues with hair and hats or head coverings. He talks about angels in it. There are issues with sexuality. And then there's the clash of modern day values versus values we find in Scripture. See, it's also difficult to figure out what in this passage is a timeless principle for all people of all ages And what was just applicable, the practice where they took the timeless principle and applied it to their culture and figuring out the difference of all of that. And here's the most difficult thing when it comes to preaching. It's figuring out how to do all of that in 30 minutes. So here we are. Thanks, Chris, for assigning this passage to me. So in light of that, in light of all of that, um, Actually, I rewrote this sermon about four or five times, and I figured that it was so easy to start to go down to all the details and get wrapped in that, and I didn't think that would be helpful for us today. So what I want to do today is just take and skim some stuff off the top of this passage, some truths that we can grab that that we can apply to our lives. I'm not going to get tied down in all the details, and if you want that, Have at it. Go study. We can recommend some commentaries for you, but we're just going to skim stuff off the top today. And I think that'll be most beneficial for our time today. So we had the passage read, but what I thought I'd do here is just extend it to the rest of the passage. And he says this, starting with verse 11 down to the end, just so we can hear the whole passage. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so now is man born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourself. It is proper for a wife to pray with her head uncovered, 
Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is disgrace for him? But hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So I thought I'd read the rest of that so you could really be scratching your heads on this one. So anyway, let's get into it. What are some, some, some truths that we can grab from this passage that we can apply to our lives today that'll be helpful for us? The first one is this. We all have God-given responsibilities to someone else. We all have God-given responsibilities to someone else. See, God designed order into creation. He's a God of order. From the home to the church to society, there are roles we all have in order for society to function in an orderly manner. And here in the passage, it specifically talks about the roles of husbands and wives. Now, as we look at this passage, some of the translations say man and woman, some say husband, wife. But I think in the context of this passage, he's talking about husbands and wives. So let's start with husbands. Let's go to verse three or verse yeah, three. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. And so he begins and says, the head of every man is Christ. So what does that mean for us as men? What does that mean for us as husbands here? Well, he doesn't give us a lot of explanation on that. And so what we need to do is go to the book of Ephesians, where Paul fleshes this out a little bit more for us. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And for husbands, I'm going to start with verse 25, Hebrews 5. Or Ephesians 5, 25. And he says this, listen up, husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same ways, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. So did you catch in this passage here that there is no authority of extra privilege for husband, but there is extra responsibility? See, we as men are given this role in order to serve our wives, in order to care, to be the spiritual leader of our home, in order to build her and the children up in the Lord. That's our responsibility. So here's some questions for us as men, as husbands. How are you doing with following your head or your authority, Christ? What are you doing on a regular basis to know what it means to follow Christ? See, knowing and honoring Christ is the most important thing in your life. It's the highest priority for us as men and for us as husbands. 
So how well are you doing with submitting your life, your priorities, your values to him and following what he wants for you? And I'm not just talking about you guys out there. I'm talking about myself. I know how easy it is for us to have the world dictate or even our own selfish desires dictate what our priorities are. We have that pull all over the place, both within us and from without, saying everything else should be our priority. And yet our primary priority is to Christ, to follow him, and then to care for our wives. So that's husbands. But then he also talks about the wives. He said, wives, the head of the wife is the husband. And so once again, we go back to Ephesians. What does that look like? Ephesians 5.22, he says this, Wives, submit to your own husband as is to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then down at verse 33, the end of it, she says this, Let the wife see that she respects her husband. So questions for husband, for wives here this morning. Wives, are you lovingly encourage your husband to become all that God has created him to be? Are you partnering in the relationship, working together to build a strong marriage? Are you seeking to glorify God in your relationship with your husband? God created something beautiful in marriage. And if we work together as God intended, it reflects his glory. So how are we doing with that? First of all, we've all been given God responsibilities to somebody else. Truth number one. Truth number two is this. Your role does not determine your value. Your role does not determine your value. Now, here's a question for you. When you ver- first, heard, first heard verse three read, did you think of a hierarch- hierarchical structure? I mean, that's where our minds go, doesn't it, right away? But did you see how, how Paul, how he phrased this? He didn't phrase it in a hierarchical way. In fact, he says this. He starts with Christ and the man, then the woman, and then he ends with Christ. And I think the emphasis here for Paul was that he was emphasizing Christ and his priority, but also Christ as our example. The emphasis is on Christ. And so if we look at the last part where it says the head of Christ is God, what does that mean? Does that mean that Christ is less than God because he submits to him as his head? Have any of you been uh, watching the theology class? Did you happen to see the one or hear the one on the Trinity? If you haven't, let me uh, tell you from uh, Craig Baumberg what he says about the Trinity Trinity and, and the dynamic between them is one less than the other. He says this, the historic Orthodox view on the Trinity supported by the New Testament involves ontological equality. In other words, equality of essence and being. So when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, that's it. Equality of essence and being. Equal value, they are the same. But combined with a functional subordination, in other words, submission within role of differentiation. In other words, Christ chooses to submit to the Father. They are equal. 
but he chooses to submit to the Father to fulfill a role in order to accomplish God's purposes. No less value. They have the same value, just a different role in that. But here's the problem for us as we live in our society. Our culture says this, it is impossible to submit or sit under somebody else's authority without a sense of self or identity being diminished. It says it's impossible to do that. The world says your value is tied to what you do or the position that you have. Our culture says your value is fine in the position you have, your job, your possessions, your notoriety, your skill, your behavior, your sexuality, your gender, your looks, and the list goes on and on and on. Society says we should find our identity, our value in the things of this world. The problem with that is any one of those things can be taken away from you, can diminish over time, or somebody else can say that you have less value because of those things. Somebody else can determine your value. So the question is, is our value based on any of those things? Well, what the Bible teaches is that our value comes from God. Did you notice in verse 7 when that was read? Listen to what he says. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Now what he doesn't say there is woman is the image of man. That's because Paul knew, and actually in this passage, he points so much back to the order of creation. But in the creation story, we find that God says this, in the image of God, he made them male and female. So women, men, we are created in God's image, and that's what gives us value. It's because he has placed his value on us, and nothing can take that away. Nothing can change that. If we understand that our value comes from him and him alone, that is actually freeing to us because then we don't need to seek it anywhere else. We can freely live our lives and give and serve and do all the things God has called us to do because we understand that our value comes from him, not from anything else. And when we finally realize that, the truth of that, it is freeing to us. Intellectually, my wife Ruth and I, we knew that. You know, our value comes from God. We grew up in the church, in ministry homes. We heard that from day one. Bible was pounded into our heads. But there's a difference between knowing it intellectually and being able to apply and grab it and live it out in our lives. And so what we saw was we heard that, that truth. And yet what we saw, not only in the world, but in the church, was people grasping for value or trying to find their value in what they did, even in the church, positions in the church, what you do, how much better were you than somebody else, comparing talent, comparing ability, comparing intellect, you know, school and degrees, and then it's what you possess, and trying to grasp for our value on all those things. We knew it intellectually, but it wasn't part of how we lived and really believing that in our hearts. About six years ago, God took us through a series of incredible losses in our lives, started to strip away things from us that we held on so tightly that we found our value in. He took away a church that I was involved in, took away in some ways my reputation, took away Ruth's job. You know, for her as, as a mom and the kids leaving and dealing with that and the value in that or loss of that, 
And it finally culminated. We were flipping houses at that point, and we were doing a big house up in Evergreen, and everything was going along perfect, got it done, got it under contract. It's like, man, this is going to be a great sell. And then at the last minute, the buyer backed out on us, and we couldn't find another buyer. And literally through the next few months, we, had, we were all in on the house and the rest of what we had, we were just using to try and stay alive, try and keep things afloat, trying to pay our bills. And one night I was on my knees before crawling into bed, crying out to God, God, if you don't do something here, we financially are ruined. And I was crying. I don't know how long it was just crying out to him. And finally, in the midst of that, it was just like there was a clarity of mind, you know, that one of those weird mystical moments where all of a sudden all I could see was him. And all of a sudden it became reality to me that I have everything I need in Christ. And it was like I let go of it and said, God, if you want to take it all, you can have it. If it means living in a shack somewhere, if it means doing some menial job somewhere, it doesn't matter because I have all I need in you. My value is from you and that can never be taken away. And when I realized that there was a freedom, my value is in you, God, and nothing else. Folks, our value comes from the fact that we are made in the image of God and that can never be taken away, and we need to grasp that. The world says, you come into this world and your value tank is empty, and you need to do something to fill that up. The problem is, what they don't tell you is there's holes in this thing, and it doesn't matter how much you put in, it never gets filled. As believers in Scripture tells us, your value tank, you have it full from the beginning, and that never depletes, never changes. Our value comes from him, not from any role we take. Third truth is this. In Christ, we are interdependent on each other. Look at verses um, 11, 11 and 12. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man from woman. For as woman was made from man, so now man is born of woman. And all things are from God. So lest we get hung up on some authoritative structure or anything like that, Paul takes us to the truth that we are interdependent. Our value is equal and we are interdependent on each other. So when we are tempted to focus on our roles God gives us and downplay others or take advantage of others, Paul gives us this reminder of need for each other. And these verses emphasize the mutuality and the interdependent between the sexes. Men and women, you are uniquely made from God as part of, part of God's creation. You are both needed to complement each other. Women, we as men need you and the feminine perspective and abilities that you bring. Men are also needed by women and the masculine, masculine perspective and abilities we bring. See, our society is doing us a huge disfavor by trying to blur those lines, trying to erase those things, trying to make everything neutral. It's taking away from what God, the beauty of what God has created. And we know that sin has messed everything up. We don't do it right. That's a reality. But the solution is not to blur the lines. 
It's truly to understand God's calling, where we find our value, and then out of that, be able to fill that, be able to give freely as a result of that. See, we can't be each other, but we need each other. See, I know this is so true in my marriage with Ruth and my relationship with her. I need her and all she is as a woman. I need her perspective. I need what she brings to the relationship that I don't have. Now, when we fell in love, boy, it's been, what, 36 years now? Long time ago. Just like most couples, we fell in love and we were infatuated with one another. And it's just like, oh, she is so wonderful. She can do no wrong. And I know she felt that way about me. I was the best person ever, the best guy ever. You know, and and I know everyone around us was saying, you know, okay, you guys have faults and issues here. You know, but we couldn't see it at that point. What we saw was the good in the other person. We valued that. We appreciated it. Were we blind? Yes. And yet our focus was on that. Then we got married, started into regular day life. You know, the mundane of life, the pressures of life, the stress of life, you know, all the issues with that, the conflict that comes with that. And it's amazing how slowly your focus starts to shift, right? From the positive to why is she doing that? Why is she acting that way? Why is she responding that way? And pretty soon... I know in my mind it happened to me. I'll admit it, sinful person that I am. I began to focus on the negative. In fact, the things that I appreciated over here, pretty soon I was irritated by over here. Why did she think like me? See, we so often shift and start to devalue start to see the negative instead of the positive, that we are interdependent, that we need each other, and that each of us brings something to the relationship. And that's a beautiful thing in God's eye. We are interdependent and we need each other. So here's the question for us today on this one. How do you view each other, men, women? Do you value each other and see how God has created you unique, special, different but special and that we need each other what are your attitudes towards the opposite sex do you see them as god's gift a unique special creation that we need do we value those unique gifts and perspectives that they bring and that's why paul in talking about this he brings this perspective this truth in in christ we are interdependent on each other So three truths there, one more, and then we'll get to the main point. This one is this. It's not about you. It's about God and glorifying him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and glorifying him. And we see this through the passage. Actually, Chris gave me two through 16. For some reason, he didn't give me verse one. He took that for himself last week, but... Everybody agree that verse 1 is part of chapter 11? Okay, Chris, we have an agreement here. It's my verse. I'm taking it back. Okay, this is what Paul says. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, in that verse, Paul says it's not about him. It's about Christ. He imitates Christ, but the goal is for people to see Christ, to imitate him. 
So he says that in verse 1. Then back down to the verses we just read in verses 11, actually verse 12 at the end, he says, and all things are from God. God is the creator of everything. And per scripture, we understand that he is not just the creator. We didn't all come from him. We are his special creation, but also he is the sustainer of life. If he wasn't holding everything together, this universe would fall apart, folks. That's what scripture tells us. We need him desperately. It's all him and because of him. But here's the amazing thing. Because of our sin and our messing it up, he chose, Christ chose to submit to the Father, come to this earth, and solve the issue by dying on the cross for you and I. Changing that. And he gives an example of what that looks like. Once again, as we look at verse 3, where it says, the head of Christ is God. We're going to unpack this a little bit. He just makes that statement. So, so, so where do we go to really understand the dynamic of that and the example it was of his submission to the Father? Well, let's go to Philippians 2. Because in this passage, passage in Philippians 2, the first part of it, Paul gives a beautiful picture of Christ's example to you and I and what we're supposed to follow. So listen to this and think of the attitude, think about the actions of what it means to follow Christ, to honor him as we live our lives. So starting with verse 1 in chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, under, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." What an incredible passage there. Did, did you hear the qualities? Did you draw those Christ's example for us? Humility, servant leadership, sacrifice, counting others as more significant than yourself, not grasping for power, and willing to totally submit to God's will, to accomplish God's will, to glorify him. Folks, each week we take communion. We do that because we need the reminder of what Christ did for us, that it's about him. It's not about us. Just think of what would happen if we would wake up each morning and say this, God, what can I do to honor you with my life today? How can I sacrifice as you did for me today? See, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. And I think that's the main issue that Paul is addressing here in this passage when we look at it further. And actually, I think Paul has been 
addressing this issue from the beginning of of, uh, chapter one in Corinthians. There's kind of this ongoing theme. You know, if you remember back at the beginning, it was the Corinthian church and who they followed. And they were bragging about, I follow this person. I follow this person. But really, it was about them. They were making it about them and bragging in who they followed, who was their teacher. There's pride in their sexual license. Then they were suing each other, my rights above yours. And they were doing that to put the other person down in order to build themselves up. Once again about them. Then there were my rights to live the way I want because of my freedom in Christ. It doesn't matter about anybody else. It's about me. And Paul gets on them for that. It's not about you. It's about what honors Christ. And therefore, I will limit my freedom to be helpful to others and to honor God. And I think that's the dynamic of what's happening in this passage here. Let's go back to four through six and read those verses. Verse four, he says this, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is a disgrace for a wife to cut her off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. See, it seems as though in this passage, what was happening is the wise found their newfound freedom in being able to pray and prophesy in church, which is a good thing. Paul doesn't get on them about that. It wasn't what they were doing. It was how they were doing it. And wives were finding their newfound freedom and saying, we can just get up and do it however we want. It doesn't matter about social norms or the messages that we're giving because we're free in Christ. See, in their culture, What they did or didn't wear on their heads sent a message to others. How they wore their hair sent a message to others. And for wives to cover their heads or wear their hair up, Paul, you know, it's kind of difficult to figure out. He goes back and forth on that. But for wives to cover their, their hair or wear their hair up, it was a symbol of propriety. It showed that they were very faithfully married, that they were pure in their marriage. They were committed to their marriage. And so you can imagine the shock and the message it would give in the church context for a wife to get up there and pray or prophesy and take their hair, either let their hair down or take the covering off. The church would have seen that as a sign of a mixed message to them. And can you imagine the shock it would be for them? For a wife to get up and do that and also the shame for the husbands as the church would say, wait a minute, what's going on with her? Is she sexually loose or unfaithful? And so you can imagine the impact that that would have on the church. It would be about her in that situation. My newfound freedom to do it how I want, as opposed to doing it in a way that would glorify God, that would help everybody in that context to be focused on God. I think the best illustration we can use uh, to, for our day and age would be if like somebody, some woman got up here on stage and was dressed as a prostitute. That was kind of the message that was being given back then when they did that. Would that help our church? Would that help lead us to think about God, to glorify him, to focus on him? See, using our Christian freedom without regards to others and the context that we're in And the impact on that is ultimately self-centered and dishonoring to God. See, it's not about me. It's not about you. 
It's about glorifying God, and it's about him. Church, God did something amazing at creation. He made this beautiful world and all that's in it. And then he made mankind, women, men, in his image, in order to work together to glorify him. But we know sin has messed all that up. But then God did something amazing at the cross. He made it possible for us to have restored relationships with him. And as a result, restored relationships with each other. See, I think the main point here is this. In whatever role or relationship that we are in, our first priority is to glorify God. In whatever role or relationship we are in, our first priority is to glorify God. So here's my question for us today. How are we doing with glorifying God in every relationship that we have? Husbands, wives, we know that the rest of scripture talks about all our other relationships and handling those well and glorifying him in that. Are we finding our value in God alone so that we can freely give and serve as he calls us? Do you value those around you as God does? Do you know and are you fulfilling God's calling on your life, which ultimately honors and glorifies him? So are you glorifying God in your roles and relationships today? And what do you need to submit to him or commit to him or even ask him to forgive you or change in your life in order for that to be different this week? Let's pray. Lord, your word is good. It is powerful, it is convicting, but it's also incredibly encouraging. When we understand, Lord, that our value comes from you and you alone, Father, that is freeing for us to live the way you want, to freely serve, to freely give as you did for us. And Father, now as we move into our time of communion on focusing on what you did for us, I pray that you would just uh, penetrate our hearts and our minds to really truly understand the depth of your love and your grace for us. So guide our time, Father, and pray that our worship back to you now would be praise and honor and glory to you that only you deserve. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.